in more clinical terms, if you will, we use identified patient. And yes, where I think a lot of people either new to the field or who are not familiar with what therapy is, they think mm-hmm. that the identified patient is the one person that you're working with. Like my client is the identified patient and that mm-hmm. might not actually be the case. So can you kind of share with people who or what the identified patient is? Yeah. So the identified patient originated in family therapy and it's basically the individual in the family system where all of the problems of the family are projected on them. And so kind of like the myth of the identified patient is that if this person gets help and gets treatment and gets well, then the family will be okay. That they're the problem. They're the reason the family's not doing well. And if that person goes to therapy or like they stop acting in a certain way, everything will magically be better. But the problem with that is really the identified patient is just the person that has all of the family problems projected on them. Welcome back to another episode of Get Psyched. I'm your host, Lindsay, and today Shay is joining me again to talk all about Disney Pixar's Encanto. Now, I know that the song, the dances, the TikToks about this movie are all trending, and we could not wait to give our movie review through the lens of therapists about this movie. Shay and I are both convinced that Pixar has a staff therapist that has to oversee all of the movie themes because it is way too apparent that these are hitting so close to home and all have underlying therapeutic practices. Today, we talk about my grandmother's hands, intergenerational trauma, why therapists actually love rupture, projection, shadow work, and defense mechanisms. So if you haven't seen the movie, press pause, go watch it. I cannot cannot, cannot recommend this movie enough. And if you've ever felt like the black sheep, if you've ever felt like the identified patient of your family system, this episode is for you until next week. Enjoy the show. Okay. I know we're like mid conversation because I never hit record on time and that's okay because that's how we roll on this (laughs) show and where you get the things and we do. But for those of you just tuning into our conversation, um, Shay and I both just watched Disney Pixar's Encanto. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Let's just start with, if you guys have not seen it yet, do it. But when you do take your tissues. (laughs) Yeah. Take your tissues and maybe wait to listen to this until afterwards. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Press pause, go watch, come back. Uh, It's surprisingly long for a Disney movie. It was like a two hour movie. Yeah. I honestly, I don't know how long it was. I was totally enraptured the whole movie. So was I. The whole time. I felt like I was in this weird enchantment. I could not look away, which I was like, I have to, I don't, while sobbing, I was like looking at Alex, like my significant other and being like, look like it's us it's a family member I was like oh like I couldn't I didn't know how long it was I was just sad it was over oh yeah we can both start this at the very beginning that there's a Disney short that starts the whole thing has nothing to do with the movie and both my partner and I cried in the short and so did Shay so cried looked at my like who I was as a person as a dog mom I was like what kind of parent am I (laughs) <laughs> well, it was the per. I mean, I'd imagine that Disney probably does this because mm-hmm. of what the content was going to be, but it was like the perfect short to start that movie. A hundred percent. So, was- yes, so good. So, a little bit of background. I'm actually going to pull up the text right now, y'all, because this is what Shay sends me. Mind you, we're in different time zones. So it was quite late and I was already sleeping by the time she sent me this. She goes, dude, all caps. You have to see Encanto. It's basically about being the identified patient slash black sheep of the family. It's all about addressing intergenerational trauma. (laughs) So that's what we're going to dive into today. And first and foremost, Shay, as you started to watch this movie, I had no idea what it was about. I hadn't even seen trailers or anything for it. So I went into it just with Shay's synopsis of the movie, (laughs) but at what point did you notice that that was immediately what was happening? Um, 
I mean, the short at the beginning, I was like, oh God, it was like some major foreshadowing. It was like, there's that like Easter egg or whatever Disney calls it, where I'm like, this is what's going to happen. Yep. Um, I think though, I love Disney. So I, I think I noticed like watching the previews. Cause I told Alex, I was like, we have to see this movie and we love movies. We go every Tuesday. So when we saw that it came out in theaters, I was like, let's go. <laughs> Um, but the theme was pretty apparent, I think, even in the preview, um, just kind of the way they set it up. And so also there's no real identified villain um, at mm. all, which is kind of like a tip off for me. I was like, there wasn't a person, um, a place, a thing, like at all. That you like know of yet. Of, yeah. Right? That I know of yet. Yeah. yeah. That I knew of yet. And I was like, well. Kind of for me, I was like, again, Disney lover, I was like, maybe it's going to be like some big interpersonal thing. And I was like, <laughs> totally going into that like psych brain. I was like, maybe I wonder. And then sitting down almost immediately, I was like, yeah, this is it. Yeah. I, mind you, I had some foreshadowing coming from Shay, but I, I think the moment it really hit me was in the very beginning, basically they live in this enchanted home that was a gift of magic after the main characters, grandmother and grandfather mm-hmm. leave their home. The grandfather dies and they're like basically gifted this magic in wake of his death. And it like builds their home and their community and kind of all people come to stay there and it's put on the family or the grandmother rather mm-hmm. feels as though it's put on the family to keep the magic alive. Mm-hmm. And the main character Isabel? Um, no, it's what is her name? It's like starts with an M. Um, Maribel? Maribel. Or no, yes, Maribel. And then I think, yeah, Maribel. I think their last name is like Madrigal. I want to, I think the main character, yeah, but the main character is Maribel. So Maribel basically eat all of the children from this family. Um, or the bloodline have been given a gift and Maribel, when it was her time to get a gift, didn't get one. And so she's kind of known as like the girl in the family who doesn't have magic and all these different things. And there's this part where um, they tell the whole family to get in and take a picture and she's not Mm. a part of the picture and nobody notices. And that was my first like (gasps) stab in my heart and just like start twisting the dagger. Yes. Automatically the outcast automatically the, and for me, I don't know about you, but, um, I was like, oh, she's the black sheep. Like, here we are. This is the black sheep of the family. And then we find out there's another black sheep, like the OG black sheep powers, like who does call him the OG (laughs) Jeep. Exactly. (laughs) Who has magical powers. And like, he was outcast and totally ostracized despite having powers. Like he was because nobody liked his power. They, they yeah. weren't acceptable powers to have. Yeah. They were fearful of his powers. They were like afraid of what they showed. It wasn't like a fun, magical, like the perfect big sister gets like, is the true Disney princess, right? Like glory, like just glorious, magical, flowy hair, flowers everywhere she goes. <laughs> like, yeah, that's the kind of like our super strength. It was like, he got a very like dark power that was still very valid, but it just was, it didn't fit their like vibe. So, (laughs) right. It didn't fit their perception of what it should be. Yes. Also side note, can we just talk about, I died laughing when, and we're, I'm skipping ahead quite a bit here, but I died laughing when she's like trying to make up to the perfect sister and like hug her. Mm-hmm. And the sister's like, do you know how hard it is to be perfect? And she immediately snaps into like, oh, do you know? <laughs> and yeah. I immediately went to bridesmaids. So she's like, oh, yeah. Helen knows the owner. <laughs> like, yeah. For every person who has a sibling, every person, like, it's that like backwards apology. Like when you're trying to do something nice and then they like, shit on it and so you're like yeah. <laughs> yeah I died laughing um but before we die because you and I are both saying like mm-hmm. outcast black sheep mm-hmm. in more um clinical terms if you will we use identified patient and yes where I think a lot of people either new to the field or who are not familiar with what therapy is they think mm-hmm. that the identified patient is the one person that you're working with 
Um, like my client is the identified patient and that Mm -hmm. might not actually be the case. So can you kind of share with people who, or what the identified patient is? Yeah. So the identified patient is a term we use in like family therapy in general, it's like, or individual therapy, but it originated in family therapy. And it's basically the individual in the family system where all of the problems of the family are projected on them. And so kind of like the myth of the identified patient is that if this person gets help and gets treatment and gets well, then the family will be okay. That they're the problem. They're the reason the family's not doing well. Um, And if that person goes to therapy or like they stop acting in a certain way or like say they start taking meds, everything will magically be better. But the problem with that is really the identified patient is just the person that has all of the family problems projected on them. And this could be because they're the youngest or sometimes it occurs where the person maybe has other health concerns. And so there's already something that like kind of makes them an outcast or makes them different. Um, It could be that like, they were just the person who like didn't take the family system well, like they noticed there was a problem. And so they start calling out the problems within the family. The family doesn't like that because it's a disruption. But at the end of the day, the only way for the identified patient to really be seen as better is for the family system as a whole to heal and each individual to like recognize their place within the system and how they're perpetuating this idea of the identified patient. Yeah. It's, it, it, I'm struggling on words right now. At the end of the day, what it kind of comes down to is like that person is the scapegoat for yes. every problem the, the family mm-hmm. has. So I look at it and I lived in this lens for a long time, right? Like it's no news to my listeners that my mom has battled addiction on and off my entire life. And when I was a kid for so long, my narrative was like, Mm -hmm. if she can just get sober, if she can Mm -hmm. just get help, all of these problems will go away. And it's so hard when you're working with clients to be like, how much of that, because it sucks taking radical responsibility for something that you feel like is not yours, Mm -hmm. but how much of your unhappiness is weighed in. If this person gets better, then Mm -hmm. I will be better. Yes. Yeah. And it's interesting to look at it in an individual, like when you're doing your own therapy, right? It's like, how much of this am I really responsible for and how much am I not responsible for, but how much am I willing to take responsibility for as well? Like what parts like, should I acknowledge and like, what parts can I stop acknowledging <laughs> for a little bit so I can heal? Mm, tell me more about that. Cause I think that that might hit home for some people and be confusing yeah. for others. <laughs> yes. So like, for instance, um, like I, for a long time was seen as the identified patient in my family, probably still am. There's a lot there, (laughs) but like, I definitely carry that identity in a lot of ways. I definitely like hold that. And it's like very much, I've gone through years of therapy, but like, I was definitely that super outspoken member of the family who like would call out when things are not right or when they're wrong, but it also was like a huge responsibility and like a weight for me. And part of me kind of coming to terms with like my family system and who I am as a person within that system meant I can stop taking responsibility for all of these things and still be seen as valid and like a respected member of the, well, respected, like takes <laughs> <laughs> member of the family system, at least like I can be like, I can hold that. Like I myself am partially responsible for some of these like things because I do like, I can be Like, I definitely call out things that like, I don't like in the family system, but also like, I need to take a step back and be like, it's not my job to call them out. Mm, That's one of my favorite things. And maybe this is true for you. Maybe it's not one of my favorite things to teach about codependence Mm -hmm. is how often codependency shows up as a teacher. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I have it's funny because we talk all the time about our clients being our biggest mirrors and how mm-hmm. often when I'm counseling on codependency, I'm like, fuck, I need to write that down for myself. <laughs> um, but that sometimes we don't even notice that in our attempt to teach someone mm-hmm. why something's wrong. So great example um, is, and I see it come up with my clients. I've seen it come up on my own. Like, our generation and the generation behind us and so on and so forth is far more progressive, far more non-dualistic than Mm -hmm. our parents' generation and definitely the generations before them. 
And Mm -hmm. so I like, I'm, I, for all intents and purposes, like I am so gender conforming, right. Mm -hmm. Um, except for maybe in the sixth grade when everyone thought I was going to be a lesbian because I wore basketball (laughs) shirts every day. Um, But that was just for my love of basketball. So for every other reason, I'm like stereotypical cis female, right? Mm -hmm. And so when gender nonconformity or non-binary and different pronouns came out, Mm -hmm. my parents had a really hard time understanding it. And I like mm-hmm. showed up as like the social justice warrior that was like, yep. this is why pronouns are used this way. And this is this. And, th- and like, it caused so much resentment in me that like, why can't I can see it so clearly? Why mm-hmm. can't you? And the story I was telling myself was like, they need to understand this so that I can accept them more or that, that mm-hmm. my codependency is then, I guess, justified because now they see what I'm trying to get them to see. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's such a good, like the way you put it, they need to understand this so I can accept them more. And I feel like that's like across the board where we see like a lot of families and like a lot of interpersonal conflict (laughs) just in that one piece right there, because it's so powerful to be like, why is this so difficult for me? Like, why is this triggering me right now? When it doesn't seem like, like they're kind of on the, like, it's like that conflict is like very like personal to like myself, why is it that I'm like placing it on them? It's like, mm. oh, because like I want to accept them and the way they're acting makes it so I can't. Right. Makes it hard. Mm. And then if I do accept them mm. for who they are, where they are, how they are, what does that say about me? Like, am yeah. I now associating with somebody who doesn't totally align with my values? And mm. does that like make me worse? Yes. <laughs> it's like, does that mean that I'm okay with people not using the right terminology? And it's like, obviously not. So there's like that internal conflict, right? Like people should be using the right pronouns always. Why can't they do it? But like, I still care about this person. I still like love this person. If they wanted to do it, there's like this piece, like, right. Always deep down. It's like, well, they would do it for me if I mattered or like, <laughs> oh, like geez, if they saw yeah. how much it means to me. <laughs> yep. And so yeah, there's that whole thing. <laughs> yeah. So when we start to get really, and I talk about this a lot, but in actual tangible reality, these are so much harder said than done. Like when we mm-hmm. actually look at ourselves through a critical lens and with so much curiosity, there are a lot of times mm-hmm. that the problems we are projecting onto other people are all our own internal mm. fucked up landscape. Oh yeah. <laughs> not will- that we are not willing to kind of address. And I think mm. that that's something to bring it back to the movie. Um, it takes. I don't mean to interrupt, but I was like, yes, bring it back all the way. Like this isn't cancel. Bring it back. Yeah. It's, you know, the grandmother at the, at the end of the movie and Guys, if you know Shay and I, you know our brains don't work too linear- linearly. <laughs> no. Linearly. Li- what am I? Linearly? They don't, they don't go, go in sequence. <laughs> all right. Yeah. All right. So we are going to hop all over this movie and just deal with it. Um, but basically, the the main character at the end, you know, she thinks it's her fault for all of these things mm-hmm. happening. And she does have that moment with her grandmother who's trying to preserve the magic. Where she says something to the extent of like, you know, you you don't care about me or you don't love mm-hmm. me to the same extent that you love everyone else with magic. And if you did, this wouldn't be happening. Mm-hmm. And it causes basically the destruction of the magic altogether, right? Mm-hmm. And it takes for the grandmother at the end to really recognize that she, in fact, and her story, her narrative of what the family was supposed to look like was what was really breaking the magic in the first place. Yeah. There's that, like, we talk a lot about like the identified patient, but there's this like very deep underlying theme of like unrealistic family expectations, just like very, Ooh, very girl, deep. Across. Say it more. <laughs> yes. Again, unrealistic family expectations because 
like at the core of it, like the grandmother and like the way the town looks at like Maribel and like the family members and even like the other black sheep, like Bruno, like they're not upholding this like ideal that the family has like put on or wants the world to see them as, or they're expected to hold, right? The grandmother is like, you don't have magic powers or the wrong ones in Bruno's case, like, so you don't fit in. And so, because you don't fit our narrative, because we have these like in truth be told, like they're very high standards. Like you see it with like, what's the strong sister's name? I can't remember. I don't know, but that was me. At yeah. one point, <laughs> at one point, my partner nudges me in the movie theater and he goes, you're aware that that's you, right? And it's literally as she's having a mental breakdown. And I was like, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, <babe>. <laughs> <laughs> like wonderful. Thank you. Well, it is. Cause she like, she has this like moment with the main character and she's like, I feel like I have to be strong and I have no other options. Like the family relies on me to be strong. And like, sometimes it is a lot, like even before she starts to like lose of her strength, she's like, just knowing that the town needs me to always be bigger, always be more, always be perfect. Like be not just like strong and stronger than everyone else, but like superhuman strong. We're like, I can move a church with one hand strong. (laughs) Her name is Louisa. Louisa. Yeah. And so like Louisa has, she like come, like she just stays, she's like, I am like very overwhelmed. Like, even though she does have an acceptable, like she meets the family's unrealistic expectations on the surface, deep down, she feels like she's never going to be good enough. Yeah. Well, she's like, how much more can you pile on me until I break? And it's unacceptable Mm -hmm. for me to break. Yeah. Um, And she just is like, I think she's the first one who um, basically Maribel main character Mm -hmm walks out into the quad during this huge fiesta walks out into the quad of their casita and it's all cracking and like it's breaking and she sees the magic you know go almost being harmed right and um it causes this whole fiasco she like tells the family about it it stops the party and then boom like the cracks have all been patched and we find out later why they have been patched but um the sister, Louisa, the strong sister mm-hmm. kind of confides in her and says, you know, in that moment, I felt weak. I could mm-hmm. feel my, like I, w- I wasn't magic anymore. Mm-hmm. And it was so crazy to see how much each character had tied their personal value to the magic, to their quote unquote gift. Mm-hmm. And if I don't have that, am I still going to be loved? And I think kind of the unconscious narrative in that is like, if I don't have it, then I'm like you, then I'm Mm -hmm. like Maribel that I have seen struggle and be the outcast and the black sheep, the identified patient Mm -hmm. my whole life. And how scary it was for a character to see like, what would my life be like if I had to be like you? Yeah. Yeah. That's again, like that. I think that is part of like, how a lot of family members get tied into that projection, like onto the identified patient is like, I don't want to be you. And so like, in order to survive, I have to be on the other side. So like where it's safest for me is I have to keep upholding whatever like family expectation, like I'm supposed to uphold because if I don't, then I'm going to be like you and that looks worse. And yes. so like it purges up family members to like, it's a really like sad system. Like it's very sad. It's very depressing. It's like very unhealthy, first of all, (laughs) but it is really sad because it's like, it almost pits everyone against everyone, including the identified patient. Like, because they're always afraid to be the next one to be that. And if like the family so easily places those like, like negative ideals onto the identified patient, how easy would it be for them to place it on another member of the family? Like how would it be them to flop? which is like kind of Bruno too. He really broke my heart. The scene where he's like sitting behind the wall, eating dinner with them. And and you can see he like has little slit in the wall where he like, and he says something so heartbreaking that was basically like, um, my family abandoned me, but I still love them. Yeah. And I was like, Oh (laughs) yeah, that was tears. My heart. I just cried this whole movie basically (laughs) like I am so moved this is so impactful um but yeah that broke my heart because at the end of the day 
the identified patient or the black sheep really does. And I think all members, and like, you can totally correct me if I'm wrong, but at least from like what I've experienced and what I've seen working with clients. And I've done a lot of work with families is like that person really more than anything wants love from the family. Like they like even Maribel in the movie, she like more than anything wanted to be seen and valued and respected by her family. There was just, again, those like really extremely unrealistic expectations that she could never meet. And every time she would fail to meet them, they'd be like, just like, just stop, yeah, just sit down. So there's also reinforcement in that narrative of like, you're never going to amount to this anyway. Mm -hmm. Like, just stop trying. We know you mean well, but just stop. Like Um, when you try, it's worse. Like you're making this harder on all of us. Right. Which then boils down to like, okay, then how is this the, how, if this person gets better, (laughs) is is everything going to get better? Um, and one thing that popped up for me when you were talking earlier, um, and we were talking about projection and it's very union, but when I was learning, you know, and deal with me listeners, here's, here's where I get woo. Cause I think Carl Jung is like <laughs> one of the wooiest easy, <laughs> like people out there, which is why I love him. Okay. Yeah. Um, but he talks about the shadow mm. and, um, shadow work is so trendy now, right? Like it's so woke to be like, I want to do shadow work. And if you listen to any of our other episodes, when Shay and I harp on TikTok, I think shadow work is also (laughs) from like the woke culture of TikTok. Um, Cause I've also sat down with clients and been like, what is, what do you think shadow work is? Because Mm. the reality is it's not just like, oh, I have this bad habit that I want to stop. It's like, we're going to look at the parts of your soul that you don't want to identify with. Mm-hmm. And that's your fucking shadow. And the way that it was best described to me was when you are either someone in your family or a total stranger or that girl in seventh grade that you hated, whatever the judgment is mm-hmm. that you're passing or the justification for why you hate that person that is oftentimes your shadow showing itself to you like that judgment that was passed. And so when we're talking about the identified patient, how much of that judgment that the family members have was their own internal struggle and arguably like their own shadow work that they were needing to work through. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, again, it's a defense mechanism. It's like very much tied to projection. It's like it often and like, even with it, like, it's a lot of it. It's like, what about me? Do I need to work on? Or what about you scaring me about myself? Like, what is it? That's like, cause a lot of times it really does fall back on us. Right. Otherwise we wouldn't care. Like if like that mean girl in seventh grade was mean to us, we wouldn't really care unless we were like worried that like, oh, it's because I'm this or like, it's like bringing up our own fears, even if they're mm. just mean to be mean, it has nothing to do with us. Like, oh, they're mean to me because I'm not skinny or I'm not pretty or like, my family's where I don't know all the things that people are mean about in seventh grade. Everyone's mean in seventh grade, but (laughs) everyone, everyone is mean. Seventh grade is a rough, like, I don't know how people survive it. Here we are though. Put that out there. Yeah. The trauma, (laughs) the trauma that we survived in seventh grade is the reason we are funny today. You guys, we've had just enough trauma (laughs) to make us funny. If you survive seventh grade, like if you weren't like one of the mean kids, but like you were one of the ones that was like terrified the whole time and just so happy to finally be done with junior high and you still look back on it like, holy shit, that was horrible. <laughs> you're probably funny now. You're probably you're, have you're... like a really morbid sense of humor, but you're probably funny. <laughs> That's why Jay and I get along so well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think, all the- you know, as we talk about being funny and jokes and all of that, just as much as projection is born out of fear. Um, I think it's the same thing that so much comedy is born out of like Mm. comedy is funny because it's just true enough, you know, like Mm. stand-up comedians talk about these terrible heinous things and because they made it through seventh grade can make it funny. (laughs) And the reason it's funny to us is because there's an element of truth to it. And I think that that also is what projection boils down to is like, you're saying something that really hurts me why does it hurt me? At what lens do I agree to you in some universe? And why do I hate you now because of it? Yeah, exactly. Why? Like, like it's that piece, like, do I agree with you? And like, I feel like I'm hurt because I do on some level agree with you. 
or like, I so desperately don't want it to be true because like, that's my fear that it is. And so that's that scary, like bully who says those things, or even like our family system as the identified patient, like you so desperately want your family to be healthy, but are you like, as the identified patient, are you comfortable saying like, it's not me, it's the family that's unhealthy. Like, what does that do to the system to call out the family system as a whole? Right. Would I, would I rather just continue to bear this cross or let my entire system crumble? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Like in the movie, like she finally like, is like, it's not me. It's not just me. And then the house falls down and like, just kind of like literally everything crumbles, (laughs) literally everything crumbles. Like the whole house fucking crumbles, but that is what you need. Like in therapy, we call it rupture. Like we like rupture because then you can build from that. Like you, like you get to the core of it. You find like whatever truly is like the most uncomfortable piece. And then you are forced to face it. You're forced to talk about it. And then from there, you can really only go up. If the house is completely in ruins, you can only build another house. Like yeah. there's no patching walls. The rupture and rebuild. Like that's yes. literally it's rapport, rupture, rebuild. Rapport, exactly. rupture, rebuild. And that is boom. You guys just earned your masters because yeah. that's pretty much pretty much what that's we do. it. Like and if you're <laughs> yes, without the rupture, what work are you really doing? Like where are you going with it? And like I think that's a scary piece. And what people don't really want to acknowledge about therapy is like that's where the work is done. That's the work itself is like in that rupture, the rebuild after is like all this growth. Like if you're just kind of going through the motions and there's nothing really like shaking anything, like the walls aren't shaking, there's no cracks. Like, what are we doing here? Where are we going to like, how are we going to build anything else? I had, and this is like, yes, sometimes it can be monumental rupture and guys, that's like what we call dark night of the soul. Okay. (laughs) But sometimes rupture is you know, one time I was with a client and I took a sip of my coffee while they were talking and I watched their complete demeanor, boom, change. Mm. And I named it in session. I was like, you know, Hey, what happened there? What just happened? And what they told me was, well, when you took a sip of your coffee, I felt like you disconnected. I felt like you stopped listening to me. And so we had to rebuild, right. In that, in our own rapport in our own therapeutic mm-hmm. container, but it also gave us so much to talk about that was like, okay, so if your lens is mm-hmm. when people do these seemingly mundane daily things, and you see that as you've now completely checked out, you don't care about me, mm-hmm. you're not listening. How many relationships are you addressing in that way? And how can we mm-hmm. start to like, where did that story come from? How can we start kind of fixing that? Oh. And it was literally taking a fucking sip of coffee did that yeah. right? it's like the healthiest transference those are my favorite stories because they're perfect examples like that's right. what you want like you want like it's, it's like a small rupture but like how big is that to identify as like a whole like so your client sitting with you in that moment you're like okay what is this with me right we're in a safe space I'm a safe person but like what does that mean for like your boyfriend or your girlfriend or like what is like Or like, let's look back, like, where does this come from? Like, if we're going back to the family system, like, where does this come from? Like, was there anyone else in your life who would do stuff like that to you? And how did that make you feel? Like, let's look at like the origins of these things. I love it. Those are my favorite kinds of transference moments. And when they have, it's like, yay, it's also terrifying. (laughs) Yeah. Cause (laughs) you don't, sometimes you don't know. (laughs) You get called out so hard and you're like, oh, like. I've had a lot of like on the other end of the spectrum, I've had clients call me out super hard. So like I've taken a lot of precautions, but which is why I've come to love that space so much. Cause like I worked with a lot of clients who are very vocal. And so I had one, again, I worked in crisis. I started wearing my watch on the inside of my wrist. Like I was like, so I looked, I like felt like I was like, Oh, I feel like an idiot. I feel like I'm trying to be like a cool army person I'm or like cool a doctor mom. or like something like that. I was like, I look like an idiot. <laughs> but, <laughs> I was like, I look like I'm trying so hard, but I would hold my notepad. And so I could see the time because if I ever turned my watch over, it was an instant trigger for almost all of them. So I was like, okay, like, this is how I manage this. But it like, sometimes it was a good rupture. And sometimes it meant like the sessions over, we're done talking. So there are some ruptures that are like bigger that come from like little tiny things that you, it's like cool to talk about the next session, but having those, like the perfect rupture, like you did where it's like, let's talk about this. Like you're healthy, you're safe in this moment. Like, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Magic. 
Um, I I'm bringing it back to the film now because I'm oh yeah curious. sorry for my tangents always. <laughs> uh, we do the same thing. We we could go down these rabbit holes. That's why we're here at least once a month on the show. Yeah. <laughs> we have so many rabbit holes to explore. Um, I don't know if you noticed this, but and this is totally me meaning making, not probably not at all Disney's uh, intention, but there was this scene at the end, and it's basically where the main character Maribel and the grandmother are embracing and are basically are saying to each other, like, this is not your fault. I love you. Mm -hmm. We're going to rebuild this whole thing. And they're at the river in which, um, the initial, like where they lost her grandfather and they grab hands and there's this pan in where they're just like, the main character and the grandmother are holding hands. And my brain immediately went to the book, My Grandmother's Hands, that's all about yes. intergenerational <laughs> trauma. And I was like, they're fucking meaning to do this. And I'm looking at the screen and like having this whole epiphany. And I was like, everyone else in this theater just sees like this mm-hmm. intimate moment between yes. a grandmother and a, and a grandchild holding hands. But My Grandmother's Hands is all a book around how we inherit the trauma from our families and mm-hmm. how we as individuals and taking the responsibility in our own healing can stop the trauma from passing it along to our kids. Yes. Yes. I love that. I love that whole scene in general, mostly because remember in the beginning or like part of the movie show, like she thinks she's supposed to embrace her sister. And so she goes in for the hug and it like, doesn't do it. It doesn't work. And then you, you, know see it you never saw the face. Was, um, <laughs> It reminded me of the stepbrothers hug when they're like yeah. all awkward and like yes. forced they're to like, hug each uh, other. Like don't want to like touch like and they're like doing those weird fate. Yeah. All about it. And I was like, yeah. Well, I was like, oh, this was the hug we needed. And like there's that intergenerational piece that I was like, it's all about intergenerational intergenerational trauma. Because like we thought it was like, oh, it's sister, which we've seen so like often, especially in Disney movies, like, oh, like frozen. Like they hug, like it's all better, like on and else. No this was like truly like the grandma and granddaughter needed that. And they needed to mend that like intergenerational trauma. Cause the grandma, clearly there's a lot of trauma. Like her husband died. Like she was forced like onto her own with triplets. Like I couldn't even imagine, like I have two dogs. I'm like, Oh, triplets by myself. Nightmare. Like (laughs) I looked and I didn't say it to my partner, but I looked at my partner in the movie (laughs) when um, basically you see the grandfather like sacrifice himself. Mm -hmm. So the rest of the, the city can get away. And in my head, I was like, please don't ever be the fucking hero. Like stay, if I have triplets, stay with me. You don't die. (laughs) Yeah. Please don't be the hero. I was like, I don't know what I would do. I'm going to tell you right now, someone's dropping something off at my door and it might wake up my dogs. So there we go. There we go. We'll edit it out. Yeah. Thank you. Harley. Sorry. I saw it coming. I knew it was going to happen. Kodak, get over here. Stop it. And so I hate, I thought all my packages don't knock, by the way, do but not knock on my door. Do not they do it. Do. Did you ever yeah, get your do jewelry not. packages out of like where it yes, fell? We did. Yeah, <laughs> we did. Finally, it was a thing, but um, um, okay, so we, I said, um, you don't need to be the hero. Oh yeah. I was like, please don't be the hero. I was like, let me be the hero. I cannot, will not like, and do not ever want to be like in that situation alone, like, it's like, I need you. I love you. I want you. You fucking leave me with triplets. I will bring you back from the dead. Like, <laughs> and get psyched listeners. We will be addressing yeah. attachment next. Yes. <laughs> I was just like, I can't imagine changing three diapers and three crying children simultaneously. Mm-mm. Yeah. The part that we're about that Lizzie's going to be so gracious and edit out is like my dog's barking. I was like, but imagine just screaming babies all the time. Like, oh no, too much. I but, literally, um, I joke all the time. I'm like, I feel my ovaries shrivel up and die when I hear that like <laughs> baby, that shriek that only children can make. Yeah. Yeah. So tangent, my second dog, Dakota, or like we call her Coda babes, but she screamed like an infant child for the first six months of her oh, life when no. we were crate training and it was much and it triggered that part of me and it triggered that part of my partner so extremely that we didn't sleep for like 
at all. I don't know, weeks. I slept in a different room. We did everything. Finally, I gave up and I was like, get in, like, I went and slept in the spare, put her in the bed with me. I was like, we're just going to bed now. Please go to sleep. Please. <laughs> Please. For all that, any, I will give anything to have you sleep and stop screaming like a banshee for hours. She never tired herself out. And so I was like, I don't know if I can have kids. Like, <laughs> how do people do this? How do you deal? Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, again, the grandma trauma, like your husband sacrificed himself to save you, your three kids. And then you had to do it on your own. You had to raise three babies. And then you like, you got this miracle. Right. But then you have this whole other level of like, now you have to uphold this like very intense idea, like idea, ideal, like concept of what your family is and like why you were so worthy to get this miracle. There's so much that is passed down with that. Right. And what I think a lot of people don't notice when we say trauma is they think, oh, there had to have been abuse. There had to have been all these things. And Brene Brown talks about this in Daring Greatly to look at your parents with that. Here's the word that I hate using, but it's true with the unconditional positive regard Mm -hmm. of like, they were doing the best they could with what they had. Like Mm -hmm. there was not a point in that narrative for her that she was doing wrong. In fact, mm-hmm. she was trying to keep everyone safe. She was trying to keep the magic alive. She was trying to keep mm-hmm. the family happy. And so what I think a lot of people don't realize about, especially family systems is that trauma can oftentimes come from someone who really thinks they're doing their best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's hard because like, it's sometimes even hard for us to see that, right? Cause we're like, they think they're doing their best. So I should cut them slack and simultaneously. And I use, and because it's not a, but it's an, and, and I'm being hurt because their best right now is hurtful to me. And so it's okay to hold both simultaneously. Like I recognize they're trying their best with what they have. And right now it's hurtful. And in the future, it might still be hurtful. And if we don't work on this, I'm going to feel hurt all the time. Yeah. So at the end, they build the house together. They, the whole town comes to support it. Um, Maribel had been missing and now she's back. Mm -hmm. And it's like clear that everyone's so happy to have her back. Um, And that's kind of, I mean, in this lens that we've been looking at it through, that's the repair, right? Like that is, we had the rupture, the house literally Mm -hmm. crumbled. Mom or excuse me, grandma and Maribel had the moment of love and forgiveness for one another. And then they rebuild. And there's this part at the very, towards the very end where they say something to the effect of like the foundations, a little uneven Mm -hmm. or like the foundation's not perfect to which Maribel answers like, and neither are we. Mm-hmm. Oh, my heart. It's oh. such a pure movie. My heart. I'm just like, <laughs> oh, it's so pure. Oh, it's such a good movie. And I just like, and I love that because like, even though the foundation is a little bit, une- like you can build from that, like uneven foundation and build a really, really super sturdy home. And then part of me, like during that pieces, I loved that not only does the family get together and rebuild the home, but like the town is also involved in rebuilding the home and what great modeling for the town. Who's like kind of idolized this family and perpetuated these like super unrealistic expectations. Like also like, because who wouldn't, if they have like superhuman strength, and, yeah. like, the ability to heal with a cookie, <laughs> like, yeah, magic candle, like they idolize these individuals and like, they're supposed to be like superhuman and like infallible. And then when the house crumbles, the whole town comes together and they get a rebuild with them. And it like, not only does that show that Maribel, you are valued, you are worthy, you do have like something to offer the family, but the townspeople themselves, they're like, we also have value. We can bring value to this town. We can help you rebuild your foundation. You don't have to be perfect on your own. Like we can all do this together. And I was like, oh, this modeling, like the whole town now, everyone, it expands. It's not just the family (laughs) unit, but the outside of the family. (laughs) We have support systems, y'all. We have support support systems. systems. And like, they weren't mad, like the people in the town weren't mad or angry. They're like, we're here to help. Like we value you. We love that you can like be all these things for us. And we love that we can now help you. Like you've always helped us. And I was like, hell yeah, this is amazing. (laughs) What a good end to this story. 
I truly, after I watched it, I tried to look up, I was like, was there a therapist? Like who was like consulted for this? Like I tried to look up, like who directed it? And I was like, do you have a background? Like, what is this? This is director. Who's your therapist? (laughs) Well, I was like these themes and like, I have a list of movies that I'm like, there is someone on who either had gone to their own therapy or like knows a therapist really well. Because like, oh, they're really yeah. deep themes. Inside but Out? Yeah. Are you kidding? Uh, Inside Here's Out. in a movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Coco. I was like, please, let's talk about grief work. Like that's yes. amazing. I love it. Like, and meaning making, and I could go on and on. That's like one of my favorite movies ever, but there's someone I swear on Disney staff who either knows a therapist was raised by a therapist or is in therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully there's lots that are in therapy. (laughs) They are all in therapy. Hopefully everyone who works at Disney is in therapy, but I'm like, there's some really deep, this is probably one of the best in years. Like probably like Coco and Moana like really got me. And then this one was like up there with those where it's like the underlying themes are so therapeutic and so helpful to like children and adults like myself who (laughs) really need to see stuff like that. Well, we are, I said this the other day, I was like, all of us are children walking around in these adult meat sacks. So like, that is why children's movies still speak to us. And if you are 57 years old and listening to this podcast and think you're too good for a children's movie, think again, because your inner child would really love for you to listen. Yeah. Talk about, yeah. I've been talking a lot with like my partner about play and how we need more play as adults. And like, I just was like right now where I'm at in life, I feel like I'm kind of turning back to play. And part of that is like, let's go see a kid's movie. Like it's fun. It's uh, this one. And I was like, Oh, like yeah. stake to the heart. I was like, what is this? It's like, like, like got you, bitch. Yeah. I was like, Oh my God. But I was like, yeah, we need play like our inner children. And like, we could probably do a whole podcast episode on that in and of itself, but oh, like, we play and like, we need children's themes and we need like, like it's fun because it's presented to us and our psyches in an easy manner. It's like not hard work. It's the easy, it's the fun work that you get to do when you get to sit and watch a movie like this and then think about it afterwards. Oh, absolutely. I, it was funny when my partner, I texted him yesterday um, and it was, I was like, Mm -hmm. I don't have clients this evening. (laughs) I have a free night and I had been racking my brain. Like I want to do a date night and literally text them. I think I told you the text. I was like, (laughs) we're going to go see it. I want a date night. We're going to see a children's movie. Already bought the tickets. See you at (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And we're going. (laughs) Thankfully he loved the movie and we both totally emotionally attached to it. Um, But when we were leaving the theater, I'm like wiping my tears. I was like, it was this or rock climbing. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, rock climbing would be sick. We could do that. I was like, we totally will, but I needed to see this tonight. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. I think that like, I can't even tell you how I sat through the movie. Like it was like that silent cry where I don't know if I'm just like so moved. Like it wasn't like the full like sob kind of thing, but it was like the silent cry where the whole time I just had like tears running down my face. Like it was just to the point where I was like, there are kids all around me. I was in a theater and I was like tired of wiping my face. Cause I felt like they weren't understanding. <laughs> oh my like, gosh. They weren't crying yet. But I, as an adult was sitting there, just like, like, I'm just not even going to, it's just going to happen. I'm, like it's catching fine. it on the sides of my mouth. I'm like, wow, <laughs> salty, like wonderful. More popcorn tears. <laughs> I know. I like, uh, we went and saw it at an Alamo draft house. I don't know if you've ever been oh, to one of those. Yes. Yeah. They're like, there was one right by my house in Texas. Yes. That was the first time I've been to one was in Texas too. And that was, I like found one here. And so we went and I was cracking up because I went to go wipe my eyes. We had ordered at, okay. So for those listening, sorry guys, tangent Alamo draft house <laughs> is like this bougie ass hotel hotel Jesus this bougie uh movie theater Mm -hmm. where you have servers at your seat there's like all like a full menu from appetizers to salads and meals and desserts and shakes and a full bar and all these things so naturally being the adults that we are we ordered um french fries Mm -hmm. and unlimited refill popcorn and so they came with these napkins and as I'm drying the copious amounts of tears on my face, <laughs> I'm just like, I'm like, these are the roughest napkins. Like I have about to write a strongly <laughs> worded letter to Alamo Draft House that they need softer napkins in this bitch. 
I was like imagining for some reason being like, I was drying my face with like buttered popkin, popcorn <laughs> napkins. Like <laughs> they would have been softer. They That's where I was softer. going with that. But yes, the roughness. Oh, I love Alamo. Definitely. Like I love movie theaters in general though. If yeah. anyone could take me to, I could go to like an old school, like 2000s movie theater, IMAX, where it blows out the speakers and everything, or that you get a like popcorn and large soda for like $50. Yeah, for <laughs> like, sure. I'm so happy. This is okay. great. Everything I've ever wanted. <laughs> but uh, Alamo does it right. They do it right. Alamo sponsor us. No, I'm yeah. <laughs> like, Alamo, give us movie tickets. <laughs> only if you get better napkins my guy (laughs) cloth napkins please (laughs) yeah god really skimped on the napkins yeah (laughs) oh man is there anything we're missing anything we didn't hit on this movie i think so i feel like we hit all of it um i definitely love to look at i'm still i'm gonna deep dive someone at disney like sponsor us also (laughs) yeah disney sponsor us please Big fan, we'll do a, like a we'll do a psych talk on all your Disney movies. All, <laughs> we will psychoanalyze everything. Starting and, with uh, Sleeping Beauty. Do not let a stranger kiss you. We'll talk about that kind yeah. of attachment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> while you're asleep, while, while you're, you're asleep, asleep. <laughs> please don't. But modern Disney, yes, we love. Um, yeah, I think we're good. I those were like the big things. The again, the running theme was like like family value or like super high family expectations and then like the identified patient and like multiple levels of intergenerational trauma. Damn. Well, guys, you know where to find us. You know what's happening. Everything's in the show notes. I don't know if we mentioned anything. Maybe we'll like, I don't know if I can tag Alamo Draft House in this. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, you know what we'll do? We'll start a petition to get Alamo yeah. <laughs> Draft House better napkins and y'all can yes. sign it in the show notes. Better um, napkins for movies that make you cry. Yeah, exactly. All right, girl. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Of course. Sounds good. Bye.